Hello, my name is Shireen Jordan and welcome to Tea and Tonic. This podcast is about giving my guests from all different creative industries the chance to tell us about how they got to where they are today while we both sip a tea or perhaps something a bit stronger with a tonic. It's a chance for those affected by the impact of lockdown, the opportunity to chat, because talking is, as the saying goes, just the tonic. I hope you enjoy it with a beverage in hand. It's Saturday, July the 11th, 2020, and my guest today is Technical Director of the Really Useful Group, Lee Batty from Yorkshire. Lee has been heading up the technical side of composer Andrew Lloyd Webber's production company for two years now, working on musicals all around the world, including Phantom of the Opera and new musical Cinderella. With over two decades' experience in the industry, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Lee Batty. Hello! Hello! Hello. How are good you? To see you? I'm good. Yeah, very good. Very good. Just, you know, getting through it. Lock, lockdown, working from home here in Beckenham. Nice so, place yeah. in the world to be, though, isn't it? Lovely. Yeah. And, and the, sun's, the sun's out today, I think. It's a little bit breezy, but the sun's out. Very nice. So, yeah, all um, good. What beverage have you got? I've actually got peppermint tea. <gasps> Why is everyone so healthy? What's, what's all that about? Um, it is three o'clock, though. I, listen, if I was drinking something with a tonic, it would be vodka, and three o'clock is a little early for me. Even in theatre land? Kind of. <laughs> Especially in lockdown. I know that, listen, a lot of people are taking to the bottle during lockdown, and I'm, I'm not going to lie, I have as well. But I'll, I'll, I'll sort of draw the line at three o'clock. Okay, you're keeping a level head with the peppermint tea, and I've got another one of my chocolate, rouboche and vanilla, English tea shop organic teas. So. Uh, very nice. Right. Well, without further ado, how did it all start for you then? Because mm. remaining in the industry for over two decades as you have can't have been easy. But first of all, when you're actually three, is it three decades? Because you look younger than you are, you see. Yeah, yeah. How did it all start? Did it originate from school? Did that kind of give you the bug? Yeah, like I, I'd sort of like any kid. I did school shows that kind of sparked something and my headmistress uh god rest her soul betty corner uh, she was in the film kez and whilst i was doing all these uh, these things at school she said to my mum and dad you need to push him because he's got something and it went from there really and like most people i wanted to be a performer i went to uh college up in barnsley barnsley college and they had a, this great course you sort of went and did like a, three, a two or a three year course um, and it was a BTEC national diploma. You also did uh, A-levels as well. Um, unluckily for me, I missed my last six months at school um, with glandular fever. So I, I didn't really get good grades from my GCSEs. So I did like a foundation course so I could get my GCSEs and then go and do the sort of two year A-levels and BTEC. But um, after that sort of first year, I realised that actually I wanted to sort of be in the industry but not necessarily as a performer um and I just wanted to sort of this sounds you know really poncy especially coming from a a lad from Barnsley but I wanted to be a theatre maker I wanted to sort of be that you know in there I wanted to sort of get as much experience in every single element of the industry as possible so that's what I did and what was your BTEC like in Barnsley Really good. We had some really good people on our course. Um, the actor Sean Dooley um, was was on the same same course as me. 
folk singer Kate Rosby, who's just <gasps> just released Manic Monday by the Bangles. She's she was on brilliant. the same course. Um, uh, there's uh, a model, a girl called Kate Orr. She's um, she did um, campaigns for Levi's and Machino and all these, you know, great. Some really good performers, but also some really good technical staff. There's um, another a production manager called uh, Paul Skelton, but in the industry he's known as Igor. He quite famously um, accepted Bunny Christie's Olivier last year. Uh, and uh, we were in, on the same year, in the same year together. It was all happening in Barnsley then, wasn't it? So, you were all bubbling along together. Yeah, there's like some really good people. And when I started at the, at the, at the college, um, it was called the Electric Theatre Studios. And um, it was sort of a part of, little offshoot of, of Barnsley College. And um, I got a job as a, crew member at the Civic Theatre and whilst I was sort of still figuring out what I wanted to do I, I sort of thought well you know get a job work work at the theatre so I did and, and I started off just on the on you know on the casual list and and even though I wasn't getting paid for it, I'd go in and just because I wanted to learn as much as possible and I'd, I we had some really good people so I'd, I'd, I'd try and learn about as much as I could about lighting or try and you know when I wasn't working on the crew on Panto if it was my sort of shift not to work I'd be sort of you know doing sound or I'd be on the fly floor or I, I'd be you know doing all kinds of, I even used to work front of house or in the, t- in the box office because I wanted, I wanted to know how ticketing worked for me that was that was a really good start even though it was a little um, number two venue um, that wasn't on the sort of you know usual usual sort of track, uh, but I learned such a lot, and I think that that stood me in really good stead. So was it then easy to go from there to get your first proper paid job, if you like? Well, when I when I left college, um, I carried on at the Civic and sort of worked full almost full time, um, and then did a few other little bits and pieces, sort of you know, locally. Um, and then when I was 21, I was working with a lady who'd done, I think it was My Fair Lady in the West End in the 70s, 70s or 80s. And she knew a production manager down there and she said, give me your CV, I will send it to him. So I said, God, okay. So I had to write a CV and I sent it off. And it turns out that this production manager was a guy called Kevin Eld, and he was the production manager of Cameron Macintosh. Um, and with a very, you know, a, a glowing reference, very good glowing reference, I ended up with an interview at number one Bedford Square at Cameron's office. Now, picture this. I, I hadn't gone to drama school. Yeah. At that point, I didn't have an equity card because you still had to in 1995. Mm-hmm. I'd been to London. I'd sort of been. I'd seen shows in the West End, but I was in Cameron Mackintosh's office. Age twenty-one. Age twenty-one, and um, a little bit scared. So, you know, I had a, a lovely interview with a chap called Nick Harris and uh, a guy called Paul Deven, who's still a, a great, great friend of mine, and so is Nick actually, and. Uh, I went back to Barnsley. That was it. Uh, and it was on a, I remember, I always remember it. It was on a Thursday. Uh, Monday morning, we get a phone call. And my mum, because I was still living at home, mum shouts upstairs because it was early. Uh, someone on the phone, come on. And he's posh. And I said, uh, oh, okay. 
So I ran downstairs and it was Paul. And he said, um, we want to offer you the job. Uh, and I was like, oh, wow, okay. He said, would you like to do Five Guys Named Mo? And I was like, yes, I've seen it. It's an incredible musical. I love the music. Yes. So um, I think two weeks later, I was on my way to London, lock, stock and barrel. So to live there and to work there. And what was the role? It was um, as an ASM, assistant stage manager, first step on the ladder. I went to stay with my friend Sally, who, again, we went to college together in Barnsley. I think she was in her final year at Mount View Theatre School. And I stayed on her sofa for a few weeks. And, and I was booked to do the tour of Five Guys Name Mo. We rehearsed, I think it was for five weeks in London. And whilst we were rehearsing, I was learning the ASM track on the show in the West End because it was at the, at the Albury, what was called the Albury, which is an old coward now. And it was magnificent. I can't explain the feeling because for it just sort of to happen out of the blue like that. And then you get, you know, this opportunity and I'm, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in the West End. And I, I'm working on the show and I, I didn't go to drama school and I, I haven't got an equity card and, and, and all this. And, and, you know, those first, first few weeks were magical. They were also bloody scary <laughs> and hard work because trying to fit in and and the thing about the in, this industry is that people will always sort of staff a team with people who they kind of already know or they work with and mm-hmm. that's how that's how it works I'm sure you know and so for me to sort of come out of the blue no one knew who I was which was a kind of double-edged sword really because you you go into it and you think no one knows me which means I don't have to prove anything yet but then on the other side of the coin, I need to prove more because everyone knows each other. You know, the, the, other, the other ASM, you know, graduated top of her class from RADA that year. And, and there was little old me from the Civic in Barnsley. <laughs> but, you know, the stars were aligning for you, clearly, at this point. Mm. What did your parents think of this? Because you're not from a theatre family. No, no, my dad, my dad started off as a professional footballer, but he had a, a, a sort of a, a bad injury early on and um uh, and he had to retire early and and he was a builder and my mum worked all sorts of different jobs in catering and, and things like that so listen I come from a, a working class background in Barnsley in the village next to where the minor strike started so absolutely not my my nan and her sister were singers uh, and they sang sort of during the war and my great aunt uh released a, a single um, in sort of early 50s, in the very early 50s. I, I don't even know what it is, so don't ask me. Um, but I guess that's where it came from, but still, absolutely not. So there is the artistic gene in the family, which you've mm. clearly inherited. Yeah. Five Guys Named Mo was really successful as well, wasn't it? So yeah. you're working yeah, on um, what's becoming, at this point, a big, successful show. Mm, yeah, Olivier Award-winning show, yeah. As your first show, age 21. Yeah. So how, how was oh, it? Sure. How were the next few years? I went on tour for a year. Just, well, just under a year. I think it was about 10 months. Um, full UK tour. We went everywhere. You know, all the big number ones, you know, Southampton, which is where you and I met. Uh, Plymouth. All the big number one houses. Woking, Cardiff, Norwich. Um, 
and Manchester, Liverpool, Newcastle, Sheffield, Nottingham, uh, Glasgow, Edinburgh, Dublin, Belfast, Cork. Um, and it was it was just wonderful. And you know, it's I would recommend it to any anyone leaving drama school now. Everyone wants to work in the West End. Don't get out on tour. You will learn so much more. You will learn so much more. And and I did. I guess that sort of 10-month tour was was sort of a potted version of what I guess I would have learned at drama school. I had goosebumps then when you named all those theatres. It's a pressurised environment because you've got a first night every week or two weeks. Yeah, every week. It was weekly. There's a lot on your shoulders there to carry and learn. And as you say, you were still proving yourself. Mm, mm. The thing I learned, especially starting back at the Civic, was... Eyes and ears open, mouth shut, learn as much as you can. And that's what I did. For that tour, I I certainly tried that. In fact, did that because that was the only way to carry on. So you're working on a Sir Cameron Macintosh production as your first professional job. Where did that take you? Uh, Well, after that, I came back home. I went back to Barnsley. I was sort of still applying for stuff. Nothing really sort of came up. And then I went back to the Civic and, and became the stage manager. Um, until 98 yeah so from 96 to 98 we did more and more shows we did bigger bigger versions of shows we did sort of big pantos longer runs and it was doing really well and then unfortunately the place closed down mm-hmm. um, and then I sort of had a go at producing little bits and pieces because you know why make it easy for yourself <laughs> uh, so I sort of locally nothing major produced my first pantomime um, when I was 20 Five. Which panto was that? It was Aladdin in Barnsley. We converted a sports hall okay. into a theatre. I subsequently went back 10 years later to do it again. After that, I, I sort of worked locally a little bit and worked at Rotherham. They had two venues. I worked there. And then, again, out of the blue, got a call from my great friend, Paul Deven, who said, I'm doing a little play. Do you want to come and do it? And I said... Yeah, what's it called? And he said it's called Stones in His Pockets, which was, again, an Olivier Award-winning show by writer Mari Jones, mm-hmm. a two-hander. Basically, two men played 17 parts, um, and it was it was wonderful. And I did that for two years, again, on tour. And then from there on, I just kept working I did Stones in His Pockets and I did Panto for Kudos. Um, I became a company manager. The Stones in His Pockets was a DSM job, deputy stage manager, where I was calling the show. And then Pantos, I was calling the show. And then I did um, a show called Boogie Nights for Kudos as a DSM. And then I company managed Panto. For those that don't know what calling the show is, can you just explain that? I was a deputy stage manager and I had um, a copy of the script, which is marked up with cue points for lighting and sound and scenic changes and automated scenery and things like that. So the, the deputy stage manager follows the show, follows the script, and then calls cues for each department. So that's what I did for about four or five years. And then I went on to be a company manager. Then I did Play What I Wrote, which is the Morecambe Wise yeah, very uh, well known. play. And then I did a musical called, a 60s musical called Shout with Claire Sweeney and Sue Pollard. And on that show, it was the first time I started being a product. I became a production manager. It was 2007. I'd got a lot of experience touring. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew how 
to build a set because some of the tours that I'd worked on, Stones in His Pockets, which was quite an easy set, but um, Play What I Wrote, I had to build the set on the on the fit up and on on shout i used as part of my company stage manager duties i'd have to do the fit up and build the set and and all that kind of stuff so all these all this experience that i learned um i sort of i'd started sort of hone it into sort of this as a production manager so you're getting Um, used to at this point bearing more and more responsibility yeah yeah it was about properly i would say about 11 years ago when I started sort of doing that, doing that kind of work, I was doing Into the Hoods and I was working with a chap called Adam Spears, who's now heads up ATG's producing arm. And uh, being the cheeky northerner, I said, I want a job working with you because he was the general manager on, on We Will Rock You. Oh. And I said, I want a job on We Will Rock You as your deputy general manager. And he was like, oh, Oh, you do, do you? I said, yeah. Yes. Please. I said, come on, come on. He said, um, I'll tell you what. Come into the office. We'll talk about it. He said, and we'll, we'll have a little trial period, learn the ropes. If you get to grips with it, we'll see what we can do. He said, but you've got to do something for me. I was like, right, okay. We Will Rock You then was produced by Phil McIntyre. And he said, um, I want you to production manager play in Edinburgh at the Fringe, and it's Phil McIntyre's daughter who's in it. I was like, yeah, all right. I'd done the Fringe. Mm-hmm. I'd done the Fringe with um, Paul Zerdin, who we both know uh, very well, who sends his love. And um, I send it back. Uh, I did Debbie Does Dallas the Musical in Edinburgh. Uh, so I know the Fringe very well. Yeah. The week before we started rehearsals, on the front page of the stage, it says, we will rock you general manager Adam Spears to join ATG. With that, Adam moved from We Will Rock You, joined ATG, and with him went the job. Oh, no. I was still, I was still expected to production manage the play in Edinburgh. Listen, these things happen all the time. Being a man of my word, I stuck to my guns, did it, and it introduced me to um, a chap called Julian Stoneman, who at that time was the general manager on Jersey Boys. But he was also the producer of the Olivier's we had gotten really well had a good time I had another little did another little show in the West End and then he said to me would you like to come and do the Olivier's and I was like what he said we're not doing it in a hotel anymore we're going to do it at Theatre Royal Drury Lane and I was like okay okay yeah um, which was, ma- again, enormous, enormous. A full red carpet event, then the main show with the BBC Radio 2 broadcast and the 14 camera shoot, then the party. And what um, year was this? I think it was 2011. Mm-hmm. I started work on it in October 2010. So the, it went really well. It you know, it was fantastic. And, you know, I've made some great sort of contacts and colleagues and friends who are still friends now. And that, I do that every year now, which is great. And on the actual day, that morning when you woke up, how did you feel? Well, I didn't because I didn't go to bed from the night before. At that time, I think Oliver had loaded out and Shrek was coming in after us. So we had this week 
where we could do a, a sort of nice steady loading. We could do some rehearsals on stage. But the night before, we were doing some work, I think, on the video screens and um, with the set. And it took longer than, than we anticipated. So I ended up not going to bed. I'd started at sort of 10 a.m. that morning, went straight through. Red carpet road closure started at six. So we had to be up, you know, get, get all the barriers out, put the flags up, install the lighting, get the generators sorted. And then it started raining. So we couldn't put the red carpet down. A couple of years previous, there was a, a problem on, I think it was the BAFTAs, where they put the red carpet down and it started raining, but they hadn't treated the carpet properly. I think it was the dye or some kind of uh, sealing treatment on the carpet started to foam and it ruined people's dresses and shoes. And so I was sort of worried about that. Um, and uh, so we had to delay a couple of hours putting the carpet down, which meant everything got, you know, we had to do full public pens and all the, we had lots of wayfinders for people to sort of get into public pens. They had to sort of the, uh, the cameras out, the paps and all that kind of stuff. And so we were right up to the last minute. Luckily it stopped raining at about half past nine. So we were like, right, get it down, get it down. Luckily for us, the, um, the sun started to shine and, and it was great. Uh, so that was that first year. And then after that, yeah, the following year, again, Julian Stoneman said to me, would you like to do a play called Driving Miss Daisy? Mm, love that. Uh, starring Vanessa Redgrave and James Earl Jones. I said, wonderful, yeah. And it was um, the Broadway production. So we brought it from Broadway, put it into the Wyndhams in the West End. They're the two things that sort of started it for me as a production manager in the West End. You are really multi-talented. You know how front of house works, back of house works, lighting, staging. You know, you said you were calling the show years ago. The intricacies of putting a show together, it's complex. And Mm -hmm. a lot now is on your shoulders when it comes to these shows. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Bizarrely. Uh, Yeah. Yes. And, And I think, again, you know, mouth shut and eyes and ears open for the, for all of my career. I've sort of had to try and do that just to sort of, you know, take an interest and sort of find out how, how a fit up works, how a get out works, how you move shows, how you schedule uh, a production period. And, you know, the good thing is that, you know, with the experience of doing new shows and with the experience of doing uh, remounts or taking shows from the West End on tour or from tour into the West End, you kind of get these, you know, experiences and you learn from them. And that's that's essentially what I've done for all of my career. And also when you were company manager, that required you to be good with people as well because yeah. you're heading up the show. You're the one that the crew and the cast come to if there's a problem. Yeah. Yeah, you're the producer's representative on site, and which is you know great. It's good. It's it, I, I like people. Um, I you know I love people. It's part of it's part of my thing, I guess. You are a very naturally a warm person. You kind of attract people to you, you because you're so easy to talk to. I guess so, and I, and I think I get that. I get that definitely from from my parents and definitely from my dad. I learned a lot from my dad actually because he was. He was a builder and I used to sort of, when I was younger, we used to go on to, me and my brother, summer holidays or any kind of holidays, we, we used to go and work with that. He was a foreman and a, a bricklayer and we, we would see him interacting with 
with the guys that were, that were working for him. And I learned from that, to be honest. Because the industry you're in, there are big characters, aren't there? And I yeah. guess sometimes some egos come into it yeah. and hmm. maybe there are disagreements or members that don't get on very well and you're all working really closely together, whether you're in the West End or out on tour. Hmm. That must be tricky at times. It is, it is. And I, I've worked on shows where where there's been a big company uh, where sometimes it's easier to handle those times where things get a little bit sort of dicey with the, with the bigger companies. Because the smaller companies, there's only a few people, things kind of get magnified a little bit and, you know, things do get blown out. But, yeah, countless numbers of time I've, I've had to be the one that's gone, now, come on, come on, let's crack on, let's... You know, being a sort of a bit of a straight up fiery northerner when I was younger, I had to sort of learn to be a lot of really patient, not jump straight in when, when things happened. And and I guess that's something that you learn when you go to drama school. I didn't. So I had to sort of sit back and, again, learn as much as I could. By the time you'd moved to London when you were 21, yeah, you said you'd seen shows in the West End. Yeah. Was that something that you tried to do as much as you could? You know, did you go with your folks? Did you go with your friends? I went with college, actually. We were really lucky. Our college used to do um, a London trip twice a year. It was Blood Brothers, I think, the first thing I saw at the Phoenix. Uh, it was Five Guys Named Mo, the lyric. It was the National Theatre production of Carousel. Oh, lovely. At the Shaftesbury. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Woman in Black at the Fortune. The classics then. Right? Some, like, you know, amazing stuff. The very first thing I saw in the West End ever was Starlight Express in 1987 with school. And the ironic thing is, I I now work on that show. (laughs) Which is bonkers. Did you ever imagine back then or hope that that would happen one day. You know, when you were sat there watching it as a kid, did you think, I'm going to work on this one day, this is going to happen? Do you know what? Without me sounding too pretentious, I sort of sat there and thought, I fancy a bit of this. I think this is me. And then when I went to college and then went back in sort of 1991, I was like, I'm going to come back, definitely. This is me. This is definitely me. And then subsequently for the next two years, we, we sort of did trips. You know, I saw Sharon Gless in Misery. I saw I saw Anthony Cher in, in a show at Barbican. I, you know, we saw some incredible stuff. And the last time I came was, was in 93 to see Sunset Boulevard. And I'd already sort of been a few times and I could remember places and I could get, my, get around a little bit. And, you know, I was, I was 18, 19 and I was like, Yes, I'm here. I belong here now. I know my way around. I know what I'm doing. And then by the time I got to 21, I came back, you know, and and that was it. I always kind of knew. Your entry into theatre, it's so incredible. You're listing all the shows and the names of the people you work with, and it just sounds so exciting. Do you think that entry is still possible nowadays for young people or do you think those opportunities just don't exist anymore i'm a member of an organization called stage site which was set up by prima metha who's a lighting designer she's from an asian background 
she set it up to highlight how people from BAME backgrounds, from working class backgrounds, don't necessarily get the opportunities. And I'm a sort of firm believer in, in sort of opening the doors because we work in probably, possibly, the most inclusive industry there is. Doesn't matter where you come from. Doesn't matter what you look like. Doesn't matter your background, your you know, age, race, ethnicity, how you want to be defined within you know your sort of sexual preferences. Whatever, it doesn't matter. There's always a place for you in this industry, and I know that there are people out there that don't have a degree, that haven't been to drama school, that still have a place in this industry because I'm kind of proof of that. I just hope that there's going to be a point where we can sort of, you know, throw open the doors again and sort of, once we're allowed to, get people in. I went to Bill Kenwright's um, a few years ago and I was the head of production. And one of the guys who was before me a few a few years always used to say, you don't have to go to drama school. We find people on tour, he said, and sometimes they're, they're the best fit because they want to learn more. Well, I mean, you are proof that not going yeah. and just grafting pays off. So yeah. 2011, you're given the Olivier job, which you've been doing ever since, yeah. um, alongside you know your current job responsibilities. You mentioned Bill Kenwright, because then you went mm-hmm. to work for him as head of production for two years. Yeah, yeah in 2016... Uh, before that, I was a freelancer, so I did lots of other shows. 2016, yeah. We did two years with Bill. We did some great shows, some some really good shows. Scylla was was fantastic. I saw that, uh, I loved it. Uh, and we did La Caja Fall, which again was one. I loved that version of that show. It looked Big beautiful. show, isn't it, as well? Yeah. We did some fantastic shows. After that, I sort of decided to go back freelance again. And then I saw the the job at Rug and thought, hmm, oh, hang on a minute, let's see. So I applied out of the blue. This is the really useful and, group. Yeah, I was up against people from all over the world, and uh, as well as the UK, and I, I ended up getting the job. What was that day like? Pretty special. Well, safe to say, a few days after, I still had the headache. <laughs> blame you yeah and so here we are 2020 you're working on shows right across the world aren't you because Mm. you know it's not just in the uk there are productions they are everywhere yeah yeah so i i'm i'm responsible for for looking after our titles all over the world we've still got the only show running in the world i think currently which is phantom of the opera in seoul in south korea the potential seasons of, you know, in Scandinavia, in Australia, in China, in American tours that are going to start up again. You know, last year I was in Brazil uh, with Phantom of the Opera. It was great, but it was in Portuguese. Um, Yeah, I kind of know it anyway, so it's fine. But, you know, before that, I was in Manila for two months opening the world tour of Phantom of the Opera, which is the one that's in Seoul. Does that um, pose extra difficulties when the show is opening in another country and you don't know the language? It can. We're very lucky. We have local partners everywhere we go who are experts in that region. It was a real eye-opener for me because whilst I'd done shows internationally, I'd never sort of 
started the show from scratch, even though it was Phantom of the Opera, which, you know, you know, we, we were bringing in people that have done the show before. But for me, it was a brand new production because we'd had a, um, a new set, a redesign of, of the build of the set to make it more nimble to tour properly, even though from the front it looks exactly the same. Doing that and getting it into the venue with a workforce who aren't like the ones in the UK or the US that have different skills, that are that have different ways of working was really, really interesting. In my job now, I don't sort of, I don't, I'm not hands-on anymore, but I still oversee the production manager. I couldn't possibly work on one single show because we've, you know, everything is so overarching. Do yeah. you find that audiences' reactions are different to shows than they are here? It's funny, in, um, in Manila, there are obvious places in every show there are obvious places where you you, you know you give a round of applause or you, or you know something they were quite reserved and uh, until the end and then they were on their feet and they were loving it and and it's just again it's a culture thing isn't it you know but yet Starlight Express that's in Germany that's been there for 33 years that's in German and is a national institution hasn't hardcore diehard fans they love it oh my god they are absolutely on their feet loving it taking photographs at the end when they can and they're, they're all you know obsessed it's it's, it's incredible mm. and listen for me that's the thing that keeps me coming back and to see you know people in love with it because we are aren't we mm. let's face it mm. so what has this lockdown experience been like for you then with no theatre running your love your joy your passion your art form your job you haven't been able to do I mean I know that you've been trying to do as much as you can from Mm. home in terms of looking at some of the shows and with Cinderella that's set to open now next year but Mm. the actual art form it's it's not there no it's been terrible it's been really sad and it's I'm very lucky that I'm sort of still been working because we've got I've, you know, I'm still working with Cinderella. So, and I've got, we've got other little projects um, on, on other shows. Got a little project on, on the world tour of Phantom. I've got a little project on, you know, other, other bits and pieces. So I, I'm sort of, my day is still sort of taken up with Zoom calls. Who knew? Who knew about Zoom, eh? <laughs> and uh, for me, I, because I can work and I do work from anywhere in the world, it means that I'm sort of, you know, I've got my setup here at home and I've converted my spare room into a, into a little office. That's the thing that's done it for me. But um, it's soul-destroying to see people that we consider as close as family. Shows are closing, people are being made redundant, freelancers that are not getting any assistance from anywhere. You know, and, you know, I've got a friend who's a very, very talented lighting guy who's working at Sainsbury's and he doesn't know when he's going to come back to it we all do what we have to do to earn money as well. Cause that's the thing. And, but I've never spent as much time on my own ever, ever. And, you know, I'm single, I live on my own and sometimes the walls close in a little bit. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you might get a text from someone that you think, Oh shit, have I, I've just read that wrong. Oh, and then, or an email, a line in an email that you think, Oh God, are they calling me out and so oh my god and then your mind starts going and then the thing about the industry that is the most important thing for me is that is community the sense of community 
we are all in this together. We are all, you know, we all su should support each other. We all should, you know, encourage each other. We all should open the doors of inclusivity to each other because we share one common love and that's the love of this industry. Aside from your job in theatre, how do you relax? Yeah. Oh, well, um, I play golf with my uh, very good friend, Matt Slack. And, very talented um, comedian. Very talented comedian, Matt Slack. Um, the number of times I've trolled up to Birmingham to see the panto, really just to see him. I haven't told him that. What? what? You can I, tell him. I, I wouldn't ever, I will tell him. I wouldn't ever want to tell him this to his face, but I think he's one of the funniest men in Britain. When you see him on form, he's incredible. He's my best mate, and I will say that. And like my other best mate is Paul Zerdin, again, that we've talked about. And again, I think he's, you know, pretty bang on as well. Equally funny. Um, and um, we're like the three amigos. I've started exercising uh, a lot more than I used to. I've sort of got up to doing uh, sort of 10Ks regularly, and um, I can't go to the gym, so... Um, and I've got a... a the perks of now becoming middle class. Uh, I've got a personal trainer who has an app and he sends me workouts on the app. How very, uh, very civilised. 21-year-old me, first coming to London from Barnsley, would have absolutely ripped me to pieces for having that. Let me tell you. But now, surrounded by all the, you know, trappings of... of of where I am. You've changed, uh, Lee. You've changed. I've changed. I've changed. I shook hands with my younger brother a few months ago and he sort of recoiled and went, oh my God. Why are our hands so soft? <laughs> Did you've turned into a soft southerner, haven't you? I was like, yeah, I have, unfortunately. And <laughs> um, who would you say has been your biggest influence? Tough. I don't have a well. I have several theatre influences, but my dad will always be my hero um, because um, he always used to say to me, um, "Do it, just do it. Don't talk about it. Do it." But um, there is a, a production manager in the industry called Richard Bullymore, who I respect. He's like the granddaddy of British theatre production management started at the RSC when it started, started at the National when it started. You know, young Vic, old Vic, all of that. He's the man. And we share the, the same the birthday. We share a birthday. And it's, it's like, it's wonderful. And so he's, he's someone that I hugely admire. Obviously, the Lord, even though he's my boss, he's a wonderful man. Uh, he treats us very, very well. We have, he's very good to us. And he and his family, who are all sort of, in, you know, in, into the business are, are all lovely, lovely, wonderful people. Lee, you've been amazing. There are so many other things I could ask you. I'm happy to come back anytime. Thank you. Well, you need to go and enjoy some of the daylight and sunlight that uh, there's left of today. And thank you so much for being so open and candid and lovely and interesting. Uh, you're a superstar. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. That was technical director of the really useful group, Lee Batty from Barnsley. Don't forget to subscribe to future episodes from your preferred podcast provider and follow me on Twitter at Shireen Jordan and on Instagram at Shireen R. Jordan.